0: Our passage today is in Acts chapter 17. In Acts 17, we're going to be reading verses 10 to 15. Verse 10 says that as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, They went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and left him with instructions for um, Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Well, it's, it's good to be with you today on this cold January morning. But I think it's a good day for a hot beverage, don't you think? So I have here, I have here my mug. And on occasion, you'll see me uh, walk around with this Viking-looking mug made from an ox horn that my kids got for me for Father's Day. But uh, today I got the mug they got for me for Christmas, my Cincinnati Bengals mug, celebrating their AFC Divisional Championship, right? Champions of the AFC. So for those of you who don't believe in miracles, I mean, explain that. I mean, I mean, give me a break. And so I got my, also I have my, my little teapot here, short and stout. And in this teapot is, uh, it's not, not bagged tea, but it's a loose leaf rooibos tea. And so I'm gonna go ahead and just get some. You know what though? It's a loose leaf tea. So if I pour this loose l- leaf in this mug, Well, it's not only going to get the the liquid stuff, but it's also going to get the leaves. And that'll kind of be like drinking mulch. And uh, so I I think I need, well, I can, I mean, I can use the, well, using the lid would keep the leaves out, but it's going to keep everything else out too. So it sounds like I need something. I know what I need. Got a strainer. Got a strainer. Doesn't everyone carry a strainer around their pockets these days? Joseph, did you bring your strainer today? No strainer today? Okay, well, this strainer just so happens to fit right in this mug. So this strainer is gonna catch the leaves while letting the good stuff through, while letting the liquid through. Yeah, it looks like it's doing its job there. Slowly filtering it through. Beautiful, right? I mean, it doesn't take much, does it? I'll hold this here. Yep, so there's the the leaves there. Got some nice, clean red tea here. Let's check it out. Mm. that tastes like a divisional championship there. That's good. (laughs) That's good. That's a good cup of tea. Now, clearly, I didn't need to walk you through my uh, (laughs) inner thought process as I poured a cup of tea, but I think it does um, serve as an illustration for a right and balanced way of being open-minded. A right and balanced way of being open-minded. Because at first, say, without the strainer, just having an open mug, that is a form of being open-minded, but maybe it's a bit too open, right? Because if the tea and the leaves represent ideas being poured in, there's nothing to strain or filter out those bad ideas, So you're so open-minded. It's this type of blind naivete, this sort of uh, gullibility, this uh, you're just accepting ideas without, um, you know, with uncritical, unquestioning acceptance. There are some who joke that often freshmen who take their first philosophy course, say it's a 16-week course, they'll become 16 different things over the course of that thing. I'm a Cartesian this week or something, you know. So that's being too open. There, um, but then you have, with the lid on, that would represent being too closed-minded. You're closed-minded. It's You're not willing to entertain good ideas nor bad ideas. You're just kind of closed off. You're set in your ways. And it's not really this closed-mindedness that is earned by thinking hard about something. It's not closed due to conviction. It's more just kind of due to just stubbornness, You're just closed-minded. But I think the kind of open-mindedness that has the filter in, it's, it's, it's willing to receive something, but it runs it through a filter, it's like, yeah, let's entertain that. Let's listen and let's see what measured up. We're going to hold this to a standard. So we'll see what gets by. And so the strainer kind of acts like a bouncer at a club. It's going to let some things in, but it's going to determine who, what gets in and what stays out. And, and I think that has something to do with What we read today in in the passage with the Bereans, it wasn't that they were completely open-mugged, that they were so open-minded and uncritically accepting and naive and just blindly saying, okay, that sounds good, let's go with that, but nor were they closed-minded to say, like, you know, we don't want to hear any of that, but what they did is they, they received and they ran it through the filter, and their filter to see if it measured up was the Word of God specifically, these being Jews, this this was the Old Testament scriptures. And as people of God, as people of the book, we too need to take whatever ideas are out there in the world, and we need to make them measure up to the standard, or see if they measure up to the standard of the Word of God. And this is true even when it comes to uh, Christian bu- written, books written by Christian authors or uh, books published by uh, Christian publications, we still need to be sure that those are measuring up and, and reading those through the filter of the Word of God. I uh, often assign reading to the form interns, the people part of the, the form internship. I, I'm assigning them homework all the time, reading or videos, and I say to them, look, there's going to be probably quite a few good ideas of what you'll read but there might be some things that you don't completely agree with or things that you might not believe are completely biblically uh, well-argued for. Um, But don't let that one or two things you disagree with completely overshadow all the other good things that you learned from this. So I say to them, chew the meat and spit the bones. Chew the meat and spit the bones. It's kind of like if you go dragnet fishing, you're going to catch quite a few fish, but you're also going to catch an old boot and bicycle tires as well. But don't toss out the whole catch for the sake of the boot and bicycle tires. Just get rid of the boot and the bicycle tires. Uh, An example of this came to mind just this past week. Um, My wife is a home educator, and she was schooling our children one day, and she was reading to them a book called The Life of Our Lord, and really kind of a, a paraphrased intended for children, uh, a lot of the things that we read about Jesus in the Gospels, and it was actually written by Charles Dickens. Uh, Dickens wrote this for his kids, and as she's reading, there were a lot of things that sounded familiar. I was like, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good paraphrase of that story. But every now and then, there would be this kind of what, I don't know if I could call it Victorian folk theology kind of creeping in there. And my wife would stop and she she would say, now kids, is that true? (laughs) And they're like, no. See, we're teaching them to think critically, right? Chewing the meat and spitting the bones. It'd be things like he would suddenly stop and say, and Jesus taught us how we could be good so one day we could become angels in heaven. It's like, well, there's more to it than that. Knowing what we know of scripture, it's not about being good, it's about being forgiven. And of course we don't become angels and, and all that stuff. So that's an example of, Chewing the meat, spitting the bones, running something through the filter of the word of God. And so in verse 11 here in Acts chapter 17, it said that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. It says they received Paul's teaching. They received Paul's word. And again, they received it in such a way, not that they were a completely open mug, but they, they, they ran it through a filter. Um, and it's interesting, the word here, is, it says they were more noble. More noble. I believe the, it's, the Greek word is where we get the name Eugene. Anyone, any Eugenes in here? Well, it's, 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 it's a word about being noble. And noble here isn't, of course, talking about bloodline or coming from a certain pedigree, but it's about being noble in character. So I'm curious, though, what, what is noble about being rightly open-minded? Well, I think it has something to do with humility. Because when you're open-minded in this balanced way, you're, you're saying that maybe I do have something to learn. You know, you're You're teachable. Whereas being closed minded, it's not very humble. You think you know, you already know all that you need to know. So they received Paul's teachings. And of course, throughout history, there have been pockets of those who have claimed uh, Jesus where they've been on. Both in both ditches, you know, being either too open minded or being closed minded. An example of closed mindedness happened, of course, during the Renaissance with the issue with Galileo. Galileo, of course, was a scientist. Um, Actually, yesterday was um, the anniversary of his death. Um, But he was a scientist and he was something funny. Are you good? it's a weird fact. I happened to look it up yesterday. I'm not full of this encyclopedic knowledge that I happen to know when people die. I just so happened to read it and say, that's today. So, Galileo, of course, was a scientist who supported um, the, the um, Copernicus' theory of a heliocentric solar system, meaning the sun is the center of it and everything moves around it. Whereas the common notion of the time, though, Um, following Aristotle, was a geocentric view of the universe. And of course, so the scholars of the day, um, the scholars and and the academic philosophers, were kind of against Galileo. And in fact, they even incited the church, go like, hey, go get your boy here and correct him, because the church had also adopted this um, view following Aristotle of the the earth being the center of the solar system. But then what they would do with that is they would make it not only a philosophical issue, but they would make it a theological and biblical issue by kind of having some of these proof texts to go along with it. A lot of times, things in the Psalms that made it appear that the earth was fixed and that the sun was moving around the earth. But of course, when it comes to the Bible, what God says is one thing, what it means is another, isn't it? We have to have certain skills, and that takes work. And it doesn't take an advanced degree or anything like that. Anybody can do this, but proper biblical interpretation does take some work, and it does take some skill. And so perhaps a lesson we can learn here is that we shouldn't have such a wooden reading of Hebrew song lyrics. But that, but that So their minds were completely closed off to it because of a preconceived assumption they had. But perhaps an example of some within Christendom of being too open-minded without running things through the filter of Scripture, you can call it theological liberalism, this kind of liberalism that was first formed in the uh, 17th and 19th century by philosophical romantics, uh, but was later popularized by people who called themselves modernists in the 20th century, uh, a popular preacher whose name was uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick. Fosdick called himself a Baptist who preached in New York City. And one day in 1922, he preached a sermon called, Shall the Fundamentalists Win? Now, what he meant by fundamentalist at that time were... uh, what we would call evangelicals today, people who said that there are certain fundamentals of the faith that we cannot compromise on, things such as the virgin birth, things such as the literal return of Christ, the inerrancy of Scripture, and Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead. But Fosdick, as a modernist, says, no, we need to make the Bible more palatable for modern people, and of course, modern people are more scientific. They're not going to believe in things such as the virgin birth. And so we don't need to take these things, you know, uh, at face value, but, you know, there's a, a maybe a deeper spiritual meaning to them. And that's essentially what he was preaching. And it's not as though he was this um, kind of fringe preacher that no one ever heard of. Fosdick was really popular, really influential. In fact, uh, John Rockefeller had this sermon published and printed and, and sent over 100,000 copies to preachers all over the country to read. Uh, Fosdick was popular enough to have bestsellers, and he made the cover of Time magazine twice. And he was majorly um, a major influence in the life of someone whose birthday we will celebrate uh, almost in a coming week, Martin Luther King Jr., Now, we totally stand in agreement with Dr. King about um, the image of God, about uh, racial equality and the equality of all men. But of course, King followed Fosdick in this kind of theological liberalism in his time at Crozier Theological Seminary, where in his essays and in his papers, Dr. King wasn't too good on things like the virgin birth or the um, physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, thinking of these things as more just in a spiritual sense and not actual, and so I think with this, it's their filter is less about scripture and more about just um, the modern thinking of the day, this kind of scientific imperialism. So those are where the church can err being too open but also being too closed. But there's a way of being open that's balanced, where it considers ideas and runs them through the proper filter. Of course, the proper filter uh, being scriptures. So the Bereans received the word, but they also researched the word. They received, and then they researched verse 11 says that they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The word examined here is this kind of judicial courtroom language. It's it's the same word of what um, Pilate did to Jesus and what later rulers would do with Paul when they were on trial. They examined them. So these Bereans kind of have scripture on trial here and they're Uh, Or I I should—they have Paul's word on trial here, and they're comparing it with the standard uh, of Scripture. Now, what was Paul's message to the Bereans? Here it just says, you know, Paul, uh, Paul's word. But I think we can get a good idea of what that word was by looking further back in chapter 17, in verse two. It says, when Paul was in Thessalonica, Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So Paul, Paul's message was the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the kingship of Jesus. So all of these things, but how did he show the death, resurrection, and the kingship of Jesus? Well, he had to do it from the Old Testament. But it's as Jesus says, you know, at the end of Luke, you know, these these scriptures testify about me, and he's like, did you to the disciples he's walking with to on the road to uh, Emmaus? Did did you not know that the Christ had to suffer before entering His glory? Now, unfortunately, there's no one verse in the Old Testament that says the Christ will suffer and then be, be raised, but it's a number of things. It's, it's a number of texts that come together and different patterns of Scripture. So you have to wonder, what did Paul use? What, what Scriptures did Paul uh, point to? What did he use to argue with? Um, did Paul go to Genesis 3, talking about the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, one who would come and defeat evil, but yet receive a wound himself, Did he talk about the Passover lamb whose blood rescued the people from destruction and led to their liberation? Or did he mention something like Psalm 22, which begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words that Jesus quoted on the cross, which later talk about they have pierced my hands and my feet, writing this, David writing this hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented talking about people gambling for his clothes. Did he mention Isaiah 53? They have, um, he was pierced for our iniquities. He was crushed for our transgressions and by his wounds we are healed. Talking about one who would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Did he talk about how God would not let his Holy One see decay, pointing to the resurrection? Paul used that. He uses that in Acts chapter 13. But it seems that, there must have been a way that Paul, through the Old Testament, was giving, as if he was giving them pieces of glass to form a mosaic. And as they got these pieces together, the mosaic was formed, and what it looked like was the face of Jesus. And it's as if these Bereans read these texts and, and, and hearing what Paul had said, and it's as if almost they couldn't read it in any other way now. You know, Once I see it, I can't unsee it. It's like watching a movie with a twist ending. (laughs) You watch that movie a second time, you see it in a completely different way. So now that they saw it, they couldn't unsee it. And so many of them believed. And it seems that Paul, that um, we have no indication from the text that Paul was at all offended by this, like... Like, what, you're not, you're not going to take my word for it? You, you feel like you have to look into it for yourself? Like No, no Paul was actually quite happy to have this conversation with them. Uh, and I'm sure, he, in a sense, he was thrilled that they were actually going to the Scriptures to hear from God for themselves. You see, because Paul was certainly about doctrine, his content was theological, but he was not about indoctrination, He was about doctrine, but not about indoctrination. Indoctrination being this kind of tyrannical instruction that expects uncritical acceptance. You know, that's how cults get started. You know, do what I say, believe what I say, but just say it on my word. You know, don't think for yourself, right? And uh, it's as a uh, a commentator named Bengal says that the characteristic of the true religion is that it, sub, it suffers itself to be examined and to be decided upon. In other words, the truth is not afraid of questions. And Of course, we live in a day where <laughs> there's some things, some topics where we're not allowed to ask questions. To question is to dissent. But uh, Paul was quite happy to entertain these questions um, it was about, about, he's about doctrine, but not indoctrination. And that's, that's true here of Apex, right? Like, none of us who stand on this platform expects you to just take our word for it. We want you to measure what we say by the scriptures. Another thing, though, about the Bereans is that it says they examined the Scriptures and they examined them daily. So it wasn't this like 20-minute gospel presentation from Paul and it's like, okay, what do you think about it? No, it was daily examinations of the Scriptures. But another thing is, is that since, you know, the, the Gutenberg printing press wouldn't be invented for another 1,400 or so years, none of them had their own individual Bibles or their own family scrolls. They had to come together as a community to look at the scrolls. And a lesson that's good here is that theology is best done in community. By all means, let's have our personal, uh, you know, devotional times in the morning or whatever. That's really important. But theology is best done in uh, community. So the Bereans received the word. They researched the word. They ran it through the filter, and they and they saw that. You know, with Paul's message, there were, there were no leftover tea leaves or bones or bicycle tires. It ran straight through. <laughs> it passed right through the filter. So they received the word. They, they researched the word. But finally, they responded to the word. They responded. Verse 12, many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women, Greek women and many Greek men. They responded to it. This is news that demands a response, isn't it? I mean, you have to, you have to take it or leave it. And, and yes, once you measure it, they, they measured it. And they saw that Paul's word measured up with what they read in Scripture, and they believed. They were very interested in this question of the Messiah. And um, they said that they, they saw that there was something to this. And so the message, of course, again, is about Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his kingship. So if we think about it, Jesus' death and his resurrection is about Jesus as Savior. His kingship points to the fact that Jesus is Lord. And it may be for us, and I'm, I guess, speaking from my own experience here, that we might go in seasons where we can easily recognize Jesus as our Savior, but we can often, often struggle with Jesus as our Lord as our king, as the one who gets the call to call the shots. It's easy for us sometimes to follow other lords and have something else be the authority of our life. We're perfectly fine with Jesus as our savior, but Jesus as Lord, it can get a little tricky sometimes. But likewise, there may be seasons in our life where we're perfectly fine pursuing Jesus as our Lord. We strive to obey him, but then we get to a point where we recognize that we're incapable of perfectly obeying him. And if we don't have a good grasp of Jesus as our Savior, we'll be crushed by fear, guilt, and shame. So we need to recognize Jesus both as Lord and as Savior. And the Bereans recognized it, and they were able to see that through the word of God. And so um, they responded and we're gonna ask for a response today. So um, I'll go ahead and invite the band up, whether we're ready. Uh, It's now time for response time, and you know how this goes. This is um, a a time, a bit of a pattern we've uh, established here of expressing internal realities with um, external responses, an external move. So how will you respond today? Maybe you hear this and, and you're thinking, you know, yeah, the, I think the Brethren's got it right. It's appropriate to look into the Word of God and have a deep understanding of it. And a lot of us are thinking at the beginning of the year, you know, how we can better um, have, a, have a grasp of the Word of God and what we'll do. But often we might get into a pattern of trying to read, um, read the Bible through the year, and you've maybe tried this over and over again, but you get to Leviticus and <laughs> it becomes a bit hard. And you find yourself in a pattern of, of failure and, and you kind of feel guilty about it. But, but maybe it's not that. Maybe you, need to, maybe you need, and so you just kind of forget it all together. But maybe you need to come and meet with the Lord today to ask both for the wisdom and the will of getting into his word. The wisdom and the will. Lord, what should my pattern be? Where should I read? Where should I go and conform my will to yours? You want the wisdom and will. Perhaps you hear this thing about being open-minded and you've seen yourself on both sides of things. Like maybe you've been too open-minded and you found that you've been entertaining a lot of bad ideas. Or maybe you recognize that sometimes you're too closed-minded. That you're just, and it's not due to conviction because you've looked into things, but you're just kind of set in your ways. Maybe it's that you recognize that there's, there's so much static in the world and as you read the word of God, you want it to become clear. You want to clearly recognize his voice in the word because there's, again, there's, there's social media, there's the news, there's so much static, so much noise in the, wor- the world, and you want to clearly be able to discern the voice of God in his word. If you want that, you come and pray about that too. Or finally, maybe you recognize the, the response of the Bereans That Jesus' death and resurrection points to him as Savior, but him being the Christ, him being the King, points to Jesus as Lord. And maybe you ebb and flow, you go back and forth between those, but you don't embrace both all the time. It may be that you're totally good with Jesus being your Savior, but you're recognizing your pattern in life right now is you're not submitting to his authority in your life as your Lord. Or maybe you're trying, you recognize Jesus as your Lord, and you're trying and trying to obey Him, but yet you realize you're incapable of obeying Him, so you're crushed by fear, guilt, and shame because you don't have a solid grasp of Jesus as your Savior. If you want that, to pray about that, you come today. These middle carpets, these middle three up front here are for people who are invite others to pray with them. The outside carpets, those are more for people who just kind of just want to be alone, just, and just them and the Lord today. So, Consider these things as we consider what Paul did in Berea and let's respond today.